Father, we continue to worship this morning, and it's so good to talk to you, Lord. Um, we know you hear us all the time, and you hear all the people who are speaking to you, the people who are singing to you throughout the entire world right now in the United States and North America. Wherever people are worshiping, we thank you and praise you. We pray that your spirit would be in us and through us and before us, that he would speak to us, Lord, that you would use your word uh, to do what you said it would do, that it would change our hearts, change our lives, and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Welcome here, everybody. My name is Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us for the first time, thank you so much. If you are tuning in and joining us from your living room in the airport or wherever, thank you. And if you've been here forever and a day, thank you. I appreciate your consistency and your willingness to commit and continue and plug in to the family here at Midland Free. Um, what we're doing right now in our church is we are moving through the book of Colossians. And the reason for doing so is we're connecting our mission and vision to the scripture and we're looking at how we can move one step closer to Jesus every day and embrace God's word and enjoy Jesus and engage the world. And so where we're at right now in the book of Colossians is just lifted up Christ for the first two chapters is high as it possibly could and now it's going to transition we're in a we're in a pivotal moment in the book in chapter three where we move into chapter four and it's a hinge section that will tell us okay so this is who jesus is this is what he means and therefore this is how you live in light of that so in connection to what paul has already told you here's how it plays out in real life. And if you look at scripture, I hope you notice this is the model. It begins with teaching and then it moves to application. It begins with the indicative and moves to imperative. It begins with the theology and then moves to the practical application. It's not just wishful thinking or commands or moralisms or anything else, but it's based on the concrete, objective, solid, eternal truth of the Word of God. This is how we move from one place to the other. And so the book of Colossians is no exception to that. And you saw the title for today, perhaps so, perhaps not. The title was anyone? No one. <laughs> what was it? Seek Christ and get rich. Amen? <laughs> uh, somebody's looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Don't fire me till you hear me out first. Hang on. There's more to come, but I want to talk about what real riches look like today, particularly as described in the book of Colossians. I think if you're like me, maybe you're not, but if you are, that makes you weird and that's okay. But if you're like me, sometimes you look at money and you think, man, that would solve my problem. I mean, if the car breaks, I need to fix it. I don't know how to fix it. I guess I got to pay for it. The house breaks, I need to fix it. I don't know how to fix it. I guess... I'll have to pay for it. There's so many things that money can help with. And yet, any of us who've lived in this world for a while know that money doesn't fix everything. There are relationships and there's everything else. And so what is the real problem? What is the root issue? And what is the fix? And how can we actually be rich and get the fix that we're really after? That's what this passage of Scripture is going to answer for us this morning. The two movements that we will follow are those, number one, point one is seek Christ, and number two is get rich. So number one, seek Christ. Number two, 
get rich. Let's see where I'm getting all that, just to make sure I'm not making it up, in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says this, If, or since, this is a first-class conditional sentence in the Greek, since then, or if, as on account of the fact that you have been raised with Christ, therefore, seek, command number one, the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And command number two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, all right. Amen. This is what God has to say to us this morning. Number one, seek Christ. Number one, seek Christ. Now, there are two commands here, as I tried to point out just a minute ago. The first is seek, and the second is set. Seek and set. Seek and set. There's the commands in this passage. What does God want you to do today? Seek and set. Interestingly enough, they're both tied together by the same sort of object. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Seek and set the things that are above. Now, we just got done singing, and I hope it's not too much a surprise to you that we are going to say that the thing that is above, that is above everything else, is... Jesus. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. There is none like him. He is the highest there is. So when this text says, seek that which is above, it's not really much of a mystery. The mystery, according to Colossians, has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the all-surpassing treasure of infinite worth beyond anything else. Amen. So then, if Christ is who we say he is, let's look just a little bit more closely and see why he might be worth seeking after. And the first of which is his infinite value. He is, Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, we talked about this a while back, and somebody in the first service remembered. We'll see how the second service does. But Jesus is two things and we called that the cnr and those two things are georgia go for it georgia c stands for what creator and r stands for redeemer exactly right he's the firstborn over creation this poetic language describes how jesus rules over all not one thing was made that has been made that wasn't from him He is the creator. He owns it. He rules over it. He judges it. It's his. He's the boss. No question. He is the creator. But he's not only the creator who sits outside, but he is also the redeemer who comes down to dwell within. He is CNR. He's both God and man. He is the perfect hypostatic union, the the unification of both natures of deity and humanity. He is creator redeemer he is all-powerful he is all-knowing he is ever-present and yet he is our friend he's our savior he is our lover our beloved 
our perfect companion. He is God and He is man. And that is what makes Jesus the perfect Savior for us. He does the one thing that no one else can. Christians aren't being jerks when we say that Jesus is the only way to God. We're saying it because He really is. He really is because nobody else is fully God and fully man. You can't unite fallen, sinful humanity with perfect, infinite deity anywhere else but in the person of Christ. And in His perfect humanity, He bridges the gap for us who are not. He holds all things together. In Him, all things hold together. That's what Colossians says. And so, here is this perfect Savior of infinite worth, of infinite value, the all-surpassing treasure. Seek Him. Set your mind on Christ. For... As Colossians says in verse 119 and 20, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's great, but look what it means for us. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, every single bad thing that has ever happened can be reconciled through the work of Christ. Whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace, by the blood of his cross. That is so encouraging. Look, that all things is huge. That covers the full gamut. That either means A, in Christ your sins will be forgiven and paid for. Or B, when you reject Christ by him, they will be punished and condemned. But whatever it is, as the creator and ruler over all things, in him... This is how it all ties together. It is brought together in a singular person, in a singular moment, in that swift and decisive blow that he dealt to the enemy when he died on the cross. In him, all things hold together. He is the all-surpassing treasure of infinite worth. Therefore, seek him. Set your mind on him. Now listen to what I'm not saying. Remember, I am not saying that we should engage in legalism. I am not saying we should engage in mysticism. I am saying that we should engage in a personal relationship with a real human being by the name of Jesus the Christ. And just like any other relationship, you're either going to grow closer together or further apart. Let me describe this to you in terms of marriage because um, this is actually a New Testament picture that is given to us to describe our relationship with Jesus. As a body, as a group, we, the church, are considered his bride. We are the bride of Christ. And so when you repent of your sins, and when you believe in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection for your forgiveness, what happens is this transaction that brings you into such a relationship that you are so close you can be considered united or one with him how does that happen because the holy spirit comes inside of you and remember the father's god the son is god the spirit is god so if you're united to the spirit you're united to the son and you are wed to him and he will never divorce himself from you he will never separate from you because he cannot disown himself he, the Spirit, is in you, and Jesus cannot break from that, and so you are forever safe and secure in Him. 
So you are united with him. Now, how does, that, how does that apply to marriage? Well, if you're in a marriage, if you've heard of marriage, if you're looking forward to marriage, you know the general idea is that there are two people who become one, both physically and metaphysically or mystically or spiritually. You have a male and a female, and that is what the Bible says, and that's what we're sticking to. And they get married, and then they become one. And the more and more they pursue the same goals and they walk forward together in life, the more one they become and the more like each other they become. Now, notice how strong that oneness is. If one partner has a bad day, guess what happens to the other one? They got a bad day coming too, you know? Even if you just come home grumpy, you know what's going to happen. If one person gets sick, inevitably what happens? <laughs> the other person gets sick too. If one person gets a bonus at work, guess what? Hopefully, everyone gets a bonus. <laughs> okay, I see that. If somebody gets fired, it impacts the entire family. If you marry into a poor family, you become poor. If you marry into a rich family, you become rich. Because of this union, then what happens to one happens to the other. You're going the same direction. You share the same experiences. And this daily experience of becoming one. Now, if you go the opposite way, not so much. And it becomes a heartbreak waiting to happen. But with Jesus... Such is the case as well. When we are united and wed to him, what we see in this text is that there are four things that happen to us because we are with Christ. Four things that happen to us because we are with Christ. Because being married to him means the same thing that happens to him happens to us. And we married into it. So there's no getting out of it. Here's what's coming. Number one, and I'm going to do these in chronological order so they're a little easier to follow, there, but you can go back in your verses and find these. There are three things that happen that are in the past tense. One of those three is ongoing right now. Two are in the very past tense. And then there's a fourth thing that happens in a future tense that you look forward to. This is your shared future. So first, let's look at the furthest back. Number one, in verse three, with Christ, because we are united to him, you have died. Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross. And guess what that means? If you're united with him, you died on the cross. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but he who lives within me. And that's the idea. When you believe in Jesus what happens in a spiritual, magical, supernatural, beyond-time way is that you are united with him by his infinite Holy Spirit. And as a result, his experience of death on the cross puts to death your sin. It cancels the code. It destroys the debt. It gets rid of all those bad things that were written against us in eternity past and in our present. In the single moment of Jesus' death on the cross, he took care of my sins today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Past, present, and future, all of it is bound up in him. 
So with him, I can truly say that I died because the Holy Spirit is in me and he's omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is there then, the Holy Spirit is here now, and the Holy Spirit's in the future as well. With Christ, back then, I died. I, my sin, my old nature, the old self, was crucified with Jesus on the cross because I am united to him. So with him, you died. But we know that Christ didn't just die. He was also resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day. And so look at verse 1. It says, if then that happened to Jesus, guess what? Since you're married to him, it happens to you too. You've been raised with Christ. There's a second with Christ. First, you died with Christ. Second, you have been raised with with Christ. That means all that old bad stuff was put to death and now you're free to walk in the newness of life because the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Ephesians tells us, is alive and well and working in you. If you've died with Christ, that means you've been raised with Christ because you are united to Him. But that's not all. Jesus didn't just stop there. He's still at work. He told the disciples, hey, hey, it's good that I go because if I go, then I'm going to send Spirit. He's going to be your helper and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So in this very moment, while we're waiting for Jesus to return, he is at work making a home for you in heaven. I think it's going to be pretty nice. How about you? He's had a while to prepare. I'm expecting something good. It's better than dinner in the crock pot that's been going for a few hours. We're looking forward to something here. Jesus is at work and he is doing it now, even in this very moment. He is seated at the right hand of God and preparing a place for us. Consequently, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and what I see is that my life in this very moment, here's number three, has been hidden in him. Hidden in him. Look at verse three. It says, your life, your life at this moment has been hidden in him. What in the world does that mean? Well, today, just hypothetically speaking, let's pretend that you had a significant wad of cash that you wanted to invest trying to think of a nice way to say it couldn't do it (laughs) you had a bunch of money and you want to invest it well if you talk to a personal financial advisor and we got a number of good ones in our church you would probably hear something like conventional wisdom that says you know highly diversified portfolio long-term view be wise be careful do this look for growth over the long haul not crazy stuff in the short term da 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 spread it out that way If one investment tanks, the other one does okay, and vice versa. Well, back then, not so much. You don't have the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or anything else. Instead, you've got gold or what? (laughs) Not a lot. And so you dump your money into treasure, you dump it into gold, but if all of your investment is literally like sitting on your table... How can you make sure that no one takes that? You've got to hide it. 
Maybe in multiple places. There's your dirt diversified portfolio. Got one buried in the backyard, one at my cousin's house, and another somewhere else. I'm diversified. This is what it means when it says that your life is hidden with Christ in God, that it is secure. Like Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of his hand. No one can rob you from him. Your life is hidden in Christ. It is secure in him, and it cannot be taken away. In this very moment, you have the assurance of your future hope and inheritance because it's hidden in Christ. If it was out there in the open for someone else to steal and grab, they might, but the shepherd is too strong for that. You cannot overcome him. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And they tell us that anything that comes our way is going to beat the snot out of Your life is hidden, safe in Him. You cannot snatch Him. That's the way it is. We're rich. We're so rich. If you get Jesus and nothing else, you've gained everything. But if you gain everything and not not Jesus, you've gained nothing. See, here's our inheritance R.C. Lucas says it like this. To be in Christ is to occupy the richest position that can be ours this side of heaven. We have this inheritance. It's secure. It's future. It's eternal. It's fully diversified and no one can snatch it from him. Now imagine that. How much better is that than wealth? You know, I want... I want money to fix my problems, but we know money can't fix our problems. I'll still get sick. I'll still say things I shouldn't. I'll still have a bad day. I'll still struggle in relationships, and I'll still die. And you will too. Merry Christmas. That's life in a fallen world. It doesn't get better. It only gets worse. People jokingly tell you, don't get old. Things fall apart. Your warranty is expired. Here we are. (laughs) Now we hurt. And it's not just our bodies, but everything and everyone else. Not a day goes by where we don't have trouble. I like particularly this one veggie tale um, episode where the vegetables sitting there. If you know these things, they're vegetables. They talk. I don't know how it works, but they do. Vegetables are talking amongst themselves and they think they're going to die. And one says, it's been a good life. He thinks about it. He's like, well, there was that one day for about 20 minutes. I thought that was funny. Maybe you didn't. But realistically, that's, that's how long it lasts. But can you imagine? We probably can't. We probably can't even realistically imagine what it's like to have a perfect day. With no pain, no lack no struggle, only perfect ecstatic bliss, the best feeling you've ever had all day long. Can you imagine that forever and ever? People do drugs to induce that. It doesn't work. It wears off. But you could actually have an eternal high when you're in the presence of Christ. 
feeling the light of his warmth and goodness and love and the removal of every burden and pain and sorrow and struggle, all things reconciled in Christ. All things. Oh, that's huge. I can't, I don't even know what that's like. But that's what's waiting for me. Hidden and secure. Yet to be revealed. Number four. You've died. You've been raised. It's hidden. And number four, in verse four, it will appear when, that's the first word, when, then. When Christ appears, when Christ comes back, then. When, pastor? Then. When Christ appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is what theologians call vindication. And then this is what we call one heck of a good day. Man, oh man, are we looking forward to this. Vindication is Colossians 1, 19 through 20, where Jesus reconciles all things to himself. Vindication, William Barclay says, is when the verdict of eternity will reverse the verdicts of time. When the judgment that fell upon Jesus is proved to be the final stroke once and for all. When the heavens and earth that we just sang are filled with his glory, then we'll be like, sing my soul. That's a good day. We know this is going to happen because this is what happened to Jesus. He is the first fruits. He's the forerunner. He's the one who goes before us. And we see this in him. When Jesus died on the cross, ha ha, the enemy thought they win. They shamed him. They robbed him. They destroyed him. And yet the father said, you know, if it wasn't my son, you're right. But since it is, I'm going to bring him back to life as I promised. And the Holy Spirit raises him from the grave and he's resurrected and he ascends and he is glorified. And because we are married to him, because we are one with Jesus, do you know what will happen to us after we die? We will be resurrected, brought to life. We will ascend to rule with him forever and we will be glorified. That's what it, Romans 8 says. He predestined, he called, he called, he justified, he glorified, past tense. He did it. So Jesus gets up on that cross and it's over. He says, it is finished. Because he means it. In that fatal final stroke, past, present, and future, everything has been reconciled in him. It is finished. Want to know how to get rich? Get Jesus and get everything. Go after something else and you get nothing. You spend a lot of effort trying. Doesn't add up. Just wears out. 
But when you seek him and set your mind on him, then you begin pursuing a shared future with Christ. You become more and more one with the Savior. And the closer you get to him, the closer you get to glory. With Christ, you've died, been raised, your life is hidden, and will be revealed when he comes again. Father, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our true Savior. Not just a band-aid or a shot in the arm, but a genuine fix for all things. We praise you, Lord, that he is reconciling the world to you through his perfect work on the cross. Lord, there is no one higher. There is none like him. And we pray that you would help us to pursue him at all costs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.